This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, welcome to She Podcast, the show all about podcasting from the women's point of view, hosted by Jessica Kupferman and me with the amazing support of John Buchanan, our amazing producer who is a seminal piece of the She Podcast team. I'm really not sure what, honestly, what we would do without him because he's amazing. So anyway, this is a special edition of She Podcast. We decided that in the occasions when we can't get an episode recorded, we would share with you an example of what our Q&A inside the Super Squad is like. So this past week was a Jess week as we take turns doing these. And as always, she was brilliant, honestly. Her advice is killer. And at the end of the session, we end up with a question that I feel every single one of you listening must, 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 must answer. So truly, listen to the whole thing. And when you get to the end, email feedback at podcast.com and share your answer. And of course, your show name. Bonus points for sending in voice feedback. In case any of you want to join the Super Squad to engage with us live and get amazing coaching from us every single week, it's only $5 a month to join. Head on over to patreon.com slash shepodcast and sign up right away. You really won't regret it. I mean, it's like the best $5 you could spend a month in podcasting. No joke. So now, before I send you over to Jess, a quick shout out to our fantastic sponsor, Wave. That is W-A-V-V-E. Now, we've been mainly talking about the super awesome audiogram social audio post things that they make, but they also have this really neat link service called Wavelink. It's the easiest way to share your show with anyone that asks. The Wavelink is like a one-stop shop, essentially, for any time that you're sharing in social media that or somebody asks you like, oh my gosh, I wish I could subscribe to your show. And so what it does is it actually creates this super easy way for other people to find your show, subscribe in the way that they want, which, which means like maybe they're using something like Castro, which is my favorite app. And all they have to do is literally just have to tap and subscribe into Castro and they don't have to search for you or anything like that. And the way to find that is going to wave.co slash link. Thank you, Wave, for supporting She Podcast. We love you. And if you want to sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash She Podcast and check out the Betty Big Deal sponsorship package right at the bottom part of our Patreon page right there from within Patreon. We love to partner with the folks that are doing great things for women podcasters. Okay. And now, ladies and gents, the mighty, scrumptious, hilarious, and wise... Jessica Kupferman. Hello, everyone. How are you today? It's Jess. I am using the PR30 from Heil. It is the best microphone. I love the Rode pod mic, but this one just makes me sound smooth as heck. So anyway, I wanted to come on and do some answers to your questions from yesterday. I'm sorry I didn't come on yesterday. I didn't see any questions and I kind of assumed y'all didn't have anything for me. So... Without further ado, 
Let's start with the most recent one. So Jennifer Keefe asked, hi, Jess, can you talk about when to change the name of a podcast? There's another podcast with the name Super Close. She started a few months before me and had an established following. My podcast is real women's work. Hers is women's work. I didn't see the other one when I searched because we lost so close to each other. I'm wondering about name change in a couple of ways. Infringement, branding, if I'm to change, what's the process? So I have actually done this. I have changed the name of Brilliant Observations. I think it used to be No Reservations or something like that. And I wanted to change it because my friend's last name is Brilliant. And I thought, how can you have a last name named Brilliant and not use it as part of your podcast? So I changed the name, but the feed is actually the same. So the feed to my show called Brilliant Observations is actually no reservations.libson.com, which is a little awkward, but really no one ever looks for the feed. Like we have a website that it posts to and we post links to our website normally, not the feed. So I don't really think it's a big deal to change the name. Just know that if you do, you have to change, you either have to change the entire feed and start over like with a new show or you just rename it in your host and rename the episodes. But the actual feed that's feeding to Stitcher and Libsyn, those are going to have the old name, which doesn't really matter as far as SEO, because SEO is really more about descriptions and, and titles and things like that. Just so you know, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do. It probably is the right thing to do if you feel like it's too close to this woman's podcast. Real women's work and women's work are pretty close. The question is, what did you mean by real women's work? It's possible that you can make, you know, sometimes these things are like meant to be. So real women's work as opposed to what? Women who are lazy, women who aren't working hard enough. I mean, maybe there's something in there that can be more descriptive so that you can really differentiate yourself from that other show or really any other show. And I'm not saying keep women's work. I'm saying, what else can you call it that would really... I mean, because as you say, there's like working mother and working women and a few others. So I feel like you could be really original here and really stand out for something different. Infringement, unless either one of you has copywritten the words women's work, there's no infringement. So, I mean, you have to file a legal patent and trademark. I'm assuming you haven't done that. She probably hasn't done it either. So there's no infringement. Your branding. I kind of think you are doing yourself a disservice but by not changing it to something more unique because you really want to differentiate yourself as uniquely as possible just in general. Branding just works that way in general, so that's always going to be a good idea. Um, and so I've already sort of explained the process of changing. All it is is changing in your host and then, you know, I mean, obviously you'd have to change your website if you already have that as a website. You'd have to change your social, but that's not really a big deal. In Instagram, you can change your handle to be whatever. I've done that several times, actually, once it was a big disaster, but I've changed it a few times and uh, it's not that big of a deal if you really, really want to do it. But it also depends on how big your audience is. Like, how much do you actually care if this person has the same name as you? Like, are you boycotting each other's audience in any way? Because if not, then maybe it's not such a big deal. I don't know. I guess it depends on how far you've gotten, how long your show has been going on. And I can't really tell how long you've had it just based on your question. But I mean, you can always choose not to care and just keep on doing what you're doing. But if it's really bothering you, then you should change it. Okay, the next question is from Kimberly Denise. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jess. It says, what's better, having a Facebook group or a Facebook page for your podcast? I have a page for the podcast. I'm not really feeling it. I don't get as much engagement as I do with my group. Any thoughts or suggestions are appreciated. Thanks. 
Well, here's the thing. We don't really use our page for She Podcast as far as engagement. In fact, you're kind of right in that as far as engagement is concerned, it's a complete waste. However, you cannot run any Facebook ads without a page. If I just wanted to run an ad for myself, I would still need a Jessica Kupferman page, which is why I have one. So you don't really need to use the page for engagement. Elsie and I do have messages that come through the page and we do post our new episodes. But for the most part, our page is kind of a, it's a little bit of a dead zone. It's just that we need it in order to run advertising and promote events. So that's why we have it. When it comes to engagement, definitely pour all your attention and focus into your group because that's where you build relationships. Nobody's building, at least not that I know of, no one I know is building relationships on their Facebook page. That almost never happens. So that is my advice there. And let's see what else is on here. Okay. Mary Keys Rogers said, I hope your blipping resolves. It did. Thank you. I'm new at working with sponsors. What's your reasonable in the back and forth of a sponsor approving your read of their copy? Do they preview before approval before I publish? And I did say yesterday, I mean, I answered her on the post, but I do think that they should approve your copy. And here's why. If they're asking to hear one, even if you do it spontaneously, turn on your mic and say, hey, before we get started, I just wanted to mention this person and here are their bullet points because they just want to hear that you're going to say the right thing. Even if you wing it, they should have a preview if they want one. And the reason why is because if you in any way get the ad wrong, they will ask you for a free do-over. And now you've done the ad twice only because they didn't hear that you could do it the first time. So my vote is always to let them do what they got to do. So I don't see any other questions in here. And I, if anyone is watching and wants to answer a question, I would be happy to. Otherwise, I just did an interview that asked me a lot of questions about the best way to monetize and grow. And I thought, if nothing else, I could share my insights on that. It was a written interview, which was interesting. So they give you the questions in written form, and then you write them down and then you send them back. So I just found them. The first question that they asked me, in case anyone cares, and if you have a question, oh, here we go. Jessica has a question. Any suggestions to leverage an upcoming episode with an influential online guest other than posting about it in social media? So it depends on how large the online guest is. What I used to do is if they have a relatively large Facebook page, you can boost that episode to just the people that like their page. Or, for example, if it's a social media influencer, like once, for example, I, I interviewed Mari Smith, um, I boost it to people who like Mari Smith and then people who like Social Media Examiner, where she writes quite often. And it got me a crazy ton of downloads just because those people who read that blog really know who that is. So that is for sure. Definitely doing that. Also, posting about on social media, I mean, that seems like, okay, we know about that. But like, especially on Twitter, tagging them. And then if you do the dot tag, you are essentially notifying all that person's followers that you've done an episode with them on it. So if you do, for example, if it's Oprah, if you do period at sign Oprah, I think it sends to all the people that follow Oprah. And, you know, if this is a person who's really influential, that's a lot of people who are going to see that you did this episode. That's a good way to do it. I mean, other ways of leveraging it. I've seen people put it on their homepage a featured guest and they have that person's face on there as like someone just to sort of show that they've gotten some interviews with a lot of clout. You can leverage it that way. You can also put it in your signature as an example of your show. If you're pitching other people or pitching sponsors, you can use it that way as well. So there's lots of different ways that you can use it. Oh, Pat Flynn. Oh, 
I don't know if smart passive income, if you can boost a smart passive income, but you know who you could post to is School of Greatness, Entrepreneur on Fire, Marie Forleo, all the other online entrepreneurs that are sort of in that circle. If Pat doesn't work, boost to all those other people because you're like, I interviewed Pat Flynn. They'll see it and they'll, they'll probably click on it. Pat Flynn's so funny. That's probably a great interview, Jess. Good call. Dot tag. That's what I said, isn't it? Did I not say the dot tag, Patrick? Oh, what is dot tag? It looks like this. I'm putting it in the comments and you can see that's what it looks like. And then usually it will send in Twitter when you do that to someone, it shows up in the newsfeed of that person's audience, not just that person, but that person's audience. So it's a kind of a cool trick. I mean, unless it doesn't work anymore, I'm not sure, but I think it does. Um, so does anyone else have any questions, burning podcast questions of the day? Um, you can ask me anything. You can ask me about monetizing. You can ask me about growing. You can ask me about the event if you want. Patrick, you know, uh, it's not women exclusive. If you wanted to come, we would be more than happy to see you and have you at the event. I'd love to see you and meet you in person and give you giant hugs. Patrick's show is about psychics. Did you guys know that? Patrick Keller has a psychic show. The big seance. That's right. It's the big seance. Woo. Okay. Let me go into some of the stuff I answered the other day. And then if you guys have questions, I'll keep peeking back in here. I did a, a written interview and I'm just going to answer some of the questions that I thought were very helpful. So starting with, let's jump to the core of our discussion. Share with the readers the five things you need to know to create an extremely successful podcast. And then specifically, they wanted to hear number one, how to book great guests. Number two, increase listeners. Number three, produce it in a professional way. Number four, encourage engagement. And number five, the best way to monetize it. Oh, I see um, Eileen's question. What do I think about Tim Ferriss not doing ads on his show anymore? Here's what I think. I think that the listeners of Tim Ferriss's show got really irritated with how many ads he had on there. And I happen to know from having the podcast ad agency that one ad was extremely expensive, like $50,000. Now, probably he did that so that not a lot of advertisers would be willing to pay it. But ha ha, guess what? They are willing to pay it. So he didn't do a good job of deterring them because they still wanted to advertise. So then he had to just say no more. And the thing is, Tim Ferriss can make money a lot of different ways. And if you are Tim Ferriss and you're an author and a blogger and you can make money a bunch of different ways, you don't necessarily have to make money with advertising. Oh, so now he's asking for donations. Well, that's what... so. The reason I think he's doing that, and this is all speculation because I've not spoken to Tim. We don't know each other, but the listeners complained that there were too many ads. So he was like, you know what? Fine. I will take out the ads, but then I'm counting on you to help me keep this show going because it does take his time and it is effort. So he took out the ads so that he could have the audience support him. Now, oh, you have 10 to $1,000 donations. I mean, is that supposed to be per month? Because that's ludicrous. Maybe a one-time $1,000 donation, but even that is like, I mean, if Tim Ferriss has a wealthy audience of entrepreneurs and people who are also only working four hours, then good for him. I would never ask that much money from a sponsor just for an ad on my show, but I mean, we have, we do have advertising packages that are around that money, but it's not, it's an ad. He was selling ads, so he's not doing that anymore. I think he's making his listeners shit or get off the pot. And I mean, I don't know if he said he would never, ever do another ad ever again or if he's doing like an experiment. But my opinion is he is just testing it out to see if people will actually support him or if he'll go back to selling out. So I don't know. That's sort of what I think. What did you guys think? Did you think that 
It was crazy. Do you guys think he's out of his mind to stop doing advertising? I mean, he made so much money doing it. But, you know, here's a question. Once you've made so much money doing something, do you have to keep doing it? I mean, is there a point where you're just like, all right, I, th- I think I have enough money. I can stop now. I don't need money right right now. Right now I can take a break from making money and just do something else. I don't know. It's a hard question to answer, I think. Oh, he said, aha, she says it's a six-month experiment. See, that makes sense. He's testing them. And if they're listening and they don't want ads, they will help him. And if they don't care if he has ads or not, and they're perfectly happy to fast forward, they're not going to give him diddles. So yeah, it's a six-month experiment to see if they're going to actually do what he wants them to do because he's doing what they want him to do. So it's very interesting. Okay. The secret to booking great guests. The key to booking great guests is to find people who have fascinating stories, which may or may not be the most successful people you know. You want them to be open and honest and have no other agenda other than sharing their story with you and your audience. And one way to do this is to be super friendly and relaxed. That's my secret. Super friendly and relaxed, both when you extend the invitation and when they first get on the show. In fact, I usually try to build in like a, hey, how are you segment. Like I don't hop on the call and start recording right away. I sort of ask them about the weather and what they did that weekend, trying to like warm them up a little bit. You want them to feel as comfortable as possible. So their honesty and the truth is easy to tap into because they feel comfortable with you. Um, I've had relatively well-known people come on and just do a 30 minute like talking point advertisement for the latest thing that they're selling. And it was so boring. I wanted to kill myself. And then I've had lesser known people come on and help my audience have their lives changed because, you know, we talked about ADHD and what we would have done differently if we were younger. So the key is to get people really, really comfortable. That's funny that Karen says she agrees with this because Elsie and I are going to be on her show later today, actually. So she says, I agree with the strategy. Thank you. Okay. So the one that was busier and less willing to get to know me, like they didn't produce good content. And then the other person who allowed me a little bit of small talk chit chat had a huge difference. So that is my key on booking guests. Next question was, what is your best strategy for increasing listeners? And this is a math question for me. I mean, people usually hate math answers, but I'm going to give one. Here's why. Not everyone listens to podcasts. Only about 20, 25% of the United States population listens. However, everyone and their mother are on social media, literally everyone. So if you are not posting about your show and actively trying to increase your social media audience, I don't personally think you can increase your listeners. Social media is the key because everyone is doing it. And also, it's something you can control. You cannot control what people are listening to or how they're listening or if they know how, all you can do is collect as many human listeners as possible, put them in a little container, whether that's Facebook or Twitter or your email list, and then remind them when you have a new episode. That's the best way. So I always can set up consistent marketing for my podcast. And then I always lead them to the podcast where I encourage people to follow me on social media. And then on social media, I send them to the show. So people aren't in one place, you know, so they need reminders. So the circle of encouragement and consistency works really well. And then I work really hard, sometimes boosting posts or following people or engaging in conversation on Twitter to increase that number. So I'm not talking to the same hundred people. Karen says, I can't wait to talk about behind the scenes of Finding She Podcast Live. Yes, that's going to be on your show later today. Bonnie Frank says, Howard Stern built his business interviewing B actors. And yes, that's true. But he also interviewed 
the, I mean, at least more recently, he interviews the A actors too. It's just that the B actors really get in deep with him because they love the publicity. Eileen says, I like this strategy too. I was a guest recently. They warned me out for sure. And then Carrie says, your audience is bigger than your podcast, way bigger, way bigger than your podcast. You've got to get on social media in order to grow those people. So the next question was how to produce your show in a professional way. And right now I have two editors in the Facebook group, so they may not like my answer, but I'm going to go ahead and answer it anyway. Oh, actually, Bonnie says being social on social media is the key. I mean, yes, that's true, but just growing it and talking about it in general, just making sure that you are growing that audience is really important on social. I mean, what you do on there is a whole nother story. That's your department. My department is just saying how to increase the listeners. And the way to do that is to go where they are, period. And then what you do on there is a whole nother consulting feat. You know what I mean? That's where you start paying Bonnie. But for me, that's how you increase. Emily says, what's up? I was just tuning in when you tagged me, Eileen. Hey, hey, what, what? Emily Peck Prokop is like my gal Friday right now. She's my right hand and sometimes the left hand. Um, she's been helping me so much with the event. So I just want to give her a shout out. Okay. How do you produce your show in a professional way? Are you ready, editors? Let me know what you think. This is way more simple than people think. It requires two things. Three, technically. A decent microphone and the ATR 2100 counts and a room with no echo. And sometimes if you don't have that, you can also get a really nice pair of noise-canceling headphones, and that should do the trick. But nice microphone, carpeting. If you don't have carpeting, an area rug. You need something in that room that will absorb the echo. So windows need to be closed. Doors need to be closed. There has to be some kind of material to catch an echo. I used to use a, a blue snowball and no headphones on a hardwood floor, and you can hear the echo and how shitty my audio is. So the question is, how do you produce in a professional way? I don't think you need to have a sheet over your head in your closet. I think if you just have an, a decent mic in a room with carpeting and all the windows and doors closed, you should be all set. Now, Carrie and Emily and Jen respond. Emily says, don't record in bathrooms or kitchens. Just don't. Amen, sister. That is such a bad idea. Never, ever, ever. And Carrie says, yes, that's a key. You have a good mic and you have some carpeting. That's how you produce professionally. No shit. Next question was, how do you encourage engagement? Now, again, it's a pretty simple, logical answer. And it does play on people and what motivates them to act. The secret for encouraging engagement is asking for advice. If you have a new Facebook group or a new page or a new anything, you ask them their opinion because people love to give advice. People think they are brilliant and wise. Oftentimes they even are brilliant and wise. So you'll luck out. But even if you don't need advice, you'll want to ask people for their opinion as if you're basing a decision off of it. I'm struggling with this. Should I do this or this, this or this? They will not be able to resist responding, especially if they have any kind of experience in the thing you're asking about. And then whammo, you've got engagement. Now, if you have a Facebook group that you're trying to grow and you're doing this in your Facebook group, then another thing you do is when you are the one that starts asking for advice first, the members follow and lo and behold, you have a group that is sort of self-managing and self-engaging and you don't have to be in there as much. And it's kind of like what happened with She Podcast. I mean, I started She Podcast because I wanted advice. So all I did was ask all the questions in there for like a good six months. And then once I had everything down, you know, because they had seen me do that, they started to ask questions too. I'm struggling with this. I don't know what to do about that, this and that, this and that. And they were engaging. 
but it definitely requires that you start first. Another way to start engagement, if you don't need advice, you ask questions about themselves. Even mundane, overused icebreakers like what ice cream flavor are you? It's a really good way to engage people because not only do people love to give advice, they love to talk about themselves. And I realize I'm not painting picture people in like the best of light, but getting people to listen and respond to you, these things are marketing. Marketing is really a lot of understanding human nature and what's driving them to act. And what's driving them to act is themselves. So all you have to do is say, what's your favorite hair product? And people will just not even be able to resist responding. It's a very quick answer, but it'll get like a hundred comments. And then because you've got a hundred comments, your posts will start rising in the news feed. And all of a sudden, you've got all this engagement and visibility. And really, all it ha- all you need to do is ask people their advice or ask people to answer a simple question about themselves. People cannot resist. That's sad, but true. Um, hello, Marion. How are you? Nice to see you. Okay, so that was my trick for encouraging engagement. And then the last question is, what is the best way to monetize? And this is a very loaded question that everyone asks and everyone wants to hear the answer to. So I answered it two different ways. I mean, most people, when they're asking what's the best way to monetize, what they're really asking is how to get a sponsor. But that's not really the answer to the question because the best way to monetize a podcast is to decide what goals you have for either the show or your life or both. And then once you know the goal you have, you just naturally start steering it in the direction that it's going to go in. So some people monetize with live events and they start talking about on the show how cool it would be if everyone who listened got together and went to like, say, like an Indigo Girls concert. Well, all of a sudden you can sell tickets and your, you know, tickets to like a pre-show or tickets to a meetup before an Indigo Girls concert. And all of a sudden you've got an income stream all based around what you want to do, which is see more Indigo Girls concerts. Just as an example, that's one way to do it. If you want a speaking career, if you want a a job podcasting, if you want to write a book, all these things are attainable without getting sponsors. You can just start talking about it. People will start commenting. You can start asking other people, your guests questions about how they've done this or that. Start having guests on that have achieved the goal you want to achieve. And like, lo and behold, you're like slowly moving down the path of the thing you want to do. Now, sponsors are your goal. The best way to go for that is by growing as big of an audience as possible. And I mean, relentlessly growing your audience. And here is why. Because the one mistake I think podcasters make is that they think that their show is the thing that they're selling. That is not true. Most advertisers don't care what the show is about. They don't care what you talk about. They don't care how you do. I mean, they care in the sense that they want you to have integrity and honesty and not be a juvenile delinquent or whatever. But they, but what you're actually selling is your audience. All they care about is how many customers they can get from your audience. So you need to grow as big of a show as possible. And then you can say, I have this many people that are all interested in this, 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 they're this age, they're this gender, they're this marital status. And then they think, oh, great, because my audience is that same way too. So let's, you know, I'll put a little ad on there and see how it does. It's best to have a backup goal. So like I wanted a speaking career and more clients when I started my first show. And I talked about it a lot when the subject of goals came up with the interviews. And then soon after I had both, I had people who were hiring me to consult and I had people who were hiring me to speak. Um, and I used to joke that my podcast was serving up hot leads fresh daily, like cinnamon rolls. And it was true because I made it clear that that's what I wanted on the show. So new podcasters really have to think about what they want. And then things naturally start happening because we start making decisions based on that. Now, everybody wants sponsorships. So like, 
if that's really, really, really your goal, then you have to forget sponsorships for a little while and grow the audience as big as you possibly can. And I'm talking 5,000 downloads an episode or more before you start going after that, because if that's your actual goal, you need to make a ton of money doing that. You need to grow your pants off before you start. That's the way to do it. So just to go back to the group, Marion says, hi, I like vanilla ice cream. And she could not help herself. Well, the question is not what ice cream flavor do you like, but what ice cream flavor are you? What ice cream flavor represents you? What ice cream flavor embodies your aura and mojo and juju? I want to know the answer to that. So actually, while we're here, and I mean, I'm a little bit over 30 minutes, so we'll just end with this unless you guys have any other questions. Let's talk about what your ice cream flavors are and how you figured out that that's your flavor. So like, I enjoy both vanilla and chocolate chip. In fact, my favorite is vanilla with a little butterscotch topping on it. But I wouldn't say that I'm the flavor of vanilla. And there was one point in my life where I would have said my flavor was Rocky Road. Let's just leave it at that. But I think that now, I mean, my flavor is probably a complicated flavor. You know what? Sometimes I feel like it's Neapolitan where I have a little chocolate, a little vanilla, a little strawberry. And at, at any given time, I could be any one of those. But that sounds more like a paranoid schizophrenics kind of like ice cream flavor. So I'm wondering if maybe instead, I mean, I do like fruity flavors and I am a little bit colorful. And let's go with rainbow sherbet. Right now, I think I'm definitely rainbow sherbet. That's my flavor. I'm all into color. I'm a little sour, trying to be sweet. I think that embodies me right now. Emily says, I'm vanilla with raspberry swirl. I love keeping it simple, but also giving people a little bit of something they don't expect. That is a wonderful, wonderful flavor for you, Emily. I could not agree more. Bonnie says, mine is mint chocolate chip because I'm a little spicy and a little chunky. (laughs) You're not either one of those things. I mean, maybe a little spicy, but you know, the chips don't have to be chunky. They can just be like shavings, but I'm just saying, I can see how that would fit you. Should we name Elsie's flavor? What's Elsie's flavor? Elsie has to be like a flavor that like owns itself, no matter what people think of it, like rum raisin. I mean, I don't even know if she likes rum raisin, but like, I feel like that describes her because... She's just going to be out there with her flavor. And if you don't like it, fuck you. And if you do like it, then you'll eat her all up. That's Elsie, right? I don't know if it's necessarily one raisin. But if there's another flavor that is like that, Dolce de Leche, maybe. Maybe that would be a good one. I don't know. Anyway, this is it for me. I am signing off, senoras and senor. And I hope you guys have a wonderful afternoon. I'm sorry about yesterday. I didn't see questions. I should have just popped on here and started chit-chatting. I don't know what I was thinking. Bonnie says, there cannot be shavings. That's not enough chocolate. Clearly. You're right. I'm sorry. My apologies for that as well. And you guys have a wonderful day. I love you guys. Thank you guys so much for showing up today. And you have any questions going forward, just leave them in the group and we will take care of them. Oh, I should run the service of picking ice cream flavors because I'm damn good at it. You're right. You're not wrong. Just technically, so you know, Emily, for the future, I'm also good at figuring out what celebrity would play you in the movie of your life. We'll play that next time, you guys. Bye. 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 Bye.